0: Here's Randy. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to listen to A Fine Time for Healing. I am, of course, your show host, Randy Fine. Today, we are going to talk about a story that is so compelling that Netflix chose to feature it in three episodes of their series Surviving Death. I hope I've piqued your interest, and you will be more and more interested interested as we go on. Um, So the question is, how do we move forward when a devastating loss befalls us? Imagine being a bartender at a busy Broadway show when just before intermission, you get the call. Your two young dads suddenly died as your family screams of despair pierce your ear, and suddenly shatter your world, hundreds of patrons abuzz with energy from the comedic first act descend on you. They hastily begin ordering drinks and a shell that looks like Mike makes them. Inside, his crumbling, his insides are crumbling away. Let me just take a drink. When a stranger's unpredictable phone call delivers a message that Mike's dad had contacted her from the other side, it kicks off a chain of events that would entirely change Mike's family's perspective on life, death, and the transcendent nature of love. In his book, Dad, How My Father Died, then told me he didn't he intimately shares one family's darkest hours and their road to healing a road long ignored or scoffed by the scientific community a healthy skeptic he goes to great lengths to uncover the paradigm shifting research into the nature of consciousness that exists and shows us why it must be put on the, in the forefront with no shame attached Mike Anthony has been a professional actor, and not professional, bartender, since he graduated from Moyne State University with a Master of Arts degree in theater. His first book, Life at Hamilton, chronicles the extraordinary time he spent as a theater bartender with an up-close perspective of Hamilton, an American musical, as it rocketed into Broadway history. Good morning, Mike. So excited to talk to you. Good morning. I'm I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, welcome. Uh, So we're talking about a topic that my listeners know I'm very open-minded when it comes to this. But you were not necessarily. So I know that you were very, very close with, with your father. Tell us a little bit about the relationship you had with him.
1: Yeah, he. My dad was an extraordinary guy. Um, he was. He had a level of kindness to him that um, it was it was rare. You know, he his entire being was about everyone in his life, the people that he loved, and just making sure that everyone was happy and well. It was all that he cared about. You know, he would have done quite well as as a, a Buddhist monk on a, uh, in a on a mountain. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That was the <laughs> Since I got, he, he like, I felt like he, he lived his life, um, his whole adult life as a FedEx delivery man, but I really felt like that was a disguise and, like, I could almost see his angel wings underneath that mm. FedEx uniform. I mean, he was this astoundingly decent person, um, you know what I mean? And my friends just, he didn't talk a whole lot, but sitting beside my dad, you just felt better. You felt calmer. He radiated this um, energy of love and goodness that made everything. Um, And when he died, which was a shock, you know, as far as we knew, he was in great health. Um, He was only 60 years old and he was a young 60. As I said, you know, his job was very active. Um, We thought he had many, many, many good years left. Um, So he and he literally passed in an instant as far as we know. Um, so losing him, you know, he would have been the person that we would have needed to turn to in a moment like this. Uh, if, if our lives were suddenly befallen with this tragedy, um, he would have been the person to make us okay again, to make us feel whole again and to, to get us through that, um, event. So we didn't only lose, um, the person that we loved immensely and without end, we also lost the person who would have gotten us through that event at the same time. So it was a completely devastating, shattering event.
0: And your mother and father married very young and divorced, um, but they still were in love. And
1: uh, mm. they
0: had a switch, you, which you describe as, you know, a, a they were soulmates. And even mm. though she had moved on and he had moved on still this, this, affected your mother just as if she was married to him still, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. They had a very unusual relationship. In, in the, I mean, they met when they were 12 or 13 years old, right? So they're these kids. They're, they're, they're like preteens when they met. Um, and then, then they got married um, right out of high school, so incredibly young and um and then they had me right after that you know so um they were they were basically still kids um and then my mom met someone else um and the only other person she'd ever even kissed before was my father you know <laughs> so by the time she's 25 um the way she describes it it's you know they they were like best friends you know and they had this very deep connection but um you know part, the romantic feeling i guess um Just it it didn't it didn't last right Uh, and then she met this other person um, who who is my stepfather and who she's still married with to this day you know so they they've been married now for what forty years or something so it's not like it was this um, it it all worked out the way it was supposed to we all feel that you know but um, that said yeah my dad never um, stopped loving my mom and she never stopped loving him either but for him. Um, I think the romantic aspect of it also did not go away. And though he got oh. remarried later in life, um, you know, that, that didn't work out. And he never, he never stopped loving her. She never stopped loving him. Um, and they remained incredibly close. And, yeah, when he died, I, I literally thought that my mom was going to die as well. Um, hearing her screaming on the phone, my sister and my mom, when they called me, they were wailing. And I say in the book, you know, the word wail um, I've read a lot in like Greek plays, you know, but I did not have a sense of what that word actually meant until I heard my mom and my sister on the phone, uh, after getting the news that he was gone. So yeah, she was completely devastated as well.
0: Mm. Must've been horrible. I, I, awful, awful thought. So we're going to talk about how your father found his way back to you from the other side. Um, But I know and I had mentioned uh, in the beginning that this was something that this is a concept that was very foreign to you. And you say in your book that you really struggled with religion. Even though you were raised Catholic, you really described yourself more as a spiritual person, which is how I describe Mm -hmm. myself. Um, I never really accepted religion and just found my spiritual connection so but I know that you struggled and so at what point did you come to terms with the fact that you had not a religious connection but a spiritual connection
1: well it was I, when I was a kid, you know, my my mom sort of to cover the bases, I think, you know, just in case communion and confirmation and all of those sacraments are the way you get to heaven, just in case, you know, baptism, we might as well do them. So we did all of those, right? And I remember being in, in catechism, so I'm a young kid, and going through parts of the Bible, and eventually, at a young age, actually, I read the Bible. And a lot of the things in it just didn't quite make sense to me. I I couldn't – it didn't make sense that some of the things written in the Bible would be said by the same whatever that made this astounding universe. And by the time I got to middle school, you know, I fell in love with science, completely fell in love with science. And being shown a picture, for instance, in high school of the the Hubble Deep Field Scan from the the Hubble Telescope, right – and it it showed us um, in, in the picture, it's just a tiny fraction of the sky, and yet it's completely full of billions of galaxies, not only stars but galaxies, which had 200 billion stars in each one. Um, and it's mesmerizing. It, it, it takes your breath away. And I couldn't believe that the same God that said some of the things that are written in the Old Testament, for instance, some kind of weird things, also was the the God or the energy or the whatever that made what I'm seeing in this picture in the, in the Hubble uh, deep fields photo. Uh, The two things just didn't go together in my mind. So I was very confused by that. Um, And then um, later on, you know, I learned about dinosaurs, right? Which had lived millions of years ago, 65 million years ago. And I asked a priest once, um, you know, what's, what's the deal with the dinosaurs? (laughs) You know, what was that? What was happening there? Was God uh, practicing with these things and, and then didn't like that to wipe them? <laughs> out? Like, just what are they? And uh, that priest told me that the, the dinosaurs are there to test my faith. And um, <clears throat> so, and that also confused me that this God that, that he's saying is this all loving um, entity would, would do something like that just to test me for, for some reason and um, Uh, So anyway, a lot of it just didn't make sense to me. However, I did always feel from the time that I was young that there was a lot more going on than meets the eye. And as much as I loved science, which I did, the things that science can do is astounding. What the human brain has been able to unlock you know, like just, a, just a two weeks ago, we landed a rover on Mars, and I was literally weeping in my living room. I, I was watching that landing, and I'm crying as, as this thing is happening because to think that, that, that the human mind somehow did that, landed a thing on a, on a planet um, 130 million miles away remotely. I mean, it's just extraordinary what, what the human intellect has been able to unlock about the universe. But all of that said, I've always felt that there is a level to existence that science is not able to get to and maybe won't ever be able to get to. Uh, I sensed when I was young that, you know, microscopes, for instance, were getting stronger and stronger. And then when I was in high school, I learned about electron scanning microscopes, you know. But I sensed that we were never going to build a microscope strong enough to tell us the absolute foundational level of of what all of this is made out of, right? So, I, I though I loved science. I also felt that it had limits and that there was a lot more going on than meets the eye. So when I say that I'm that I was skeptical going into this whole experience that happened, it's, it's true that I'm skeptical in that I need evidence. I'm a person who requires proof. I'm not just I didn't just believe something because I'm told it. But it's not that I was closed to the idea. Um, You know, I have an open mind, I I like to think, uh, and an open heart. Um, And if new evidence comes in that challenges what I think is the truth, I like to think that I will take that evidence in and give it a fair hearing. Um, But to that point in my life, I had not seen good evidence for something like mediumship, for instance, right? There was a show on television called Crossing Over with John Edward,
0: um, and it looked
1: fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, watching people crying in the audience, I thought, my gosh, this is incredible television. and, And clearly these people believe something powerful is happening. But again, it was a television show. And who knows how produced it is or how much information that guy knows about the audience members. You know, I I had no idea um, how genuine that might be. So I didn't have any direct evidence uh, for mediumship being a genuine phenomenon. And I also kind of thought, if this is real, surely I would have learned about it in in (laughs) science class. Yeah. right. Surely... My biology professor would have said, "Oh, and by the way, one of the functions of the brain is an ability to hear dead people. but but no, none of my science teachers said that. And in fact, what science says, what mainstream science says, is that consciousness, what we think of as our self, right? our sense of self, is just an illusion created by the brain. and that consciousness is actually just, the result of physical interactions, chemical and electrical reactions happening in our brain that create the illusion of self. And that when the brain uh, stops oh getting gosh. oxygen and the heart, yeah, that when the heart yeah. stops beating, that the person goes away, and 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 that's the end of the story. Period. So that's what mm-hmm. that's what mainstream science says. That when we die, right. we die.
0: Well, the, and, you know, uh, when science, sorry, a scientific concept, is is only good until it's disproven. And they're always disproven. Yes. So we're moving forward into the quantum science field yes. and which is very, very different, you know, and that's going to be our mm-hmm. basis for science in the future. We are moving in that direction. Right. So I wanna yeah, talk that, about that, yeah, mm-hmm. so I want to talk about um, this this first time that your father went through Calisthenics to find to contact you, and you know, it's funny, it's funny. So, the so this person was having this horrible smell of fish in the house that not there was no root in it, Um, they couldn't figure it out. So, eventually, they called in a ghost hunting team, and Right. right, the paranormal. Team and, I, and I'm very familiar with these teams because I have called them in before to, to my businesses, um, you know, and it's just fantastic, the equipment they bring and everything like that. But this part of this team was this relative that you guys weren't really that close to, but you knew because she married into the family, but she was a medium. So here your mom gets this call from this woman named Chris who is telling her, I think I, yeah, go ahead.
1: Sorry. It's actually, Chris is a guy. That's my cousin. And uh, Christina is the medium that's on my cousin's ghost hunting team. Yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. There we go. Okay. So, yeah. Um. okay. So Christina was the medium. Right. And so Chris calls your mother and he's, saying, I think I heard from your husband. So, right. <laughs> so this is crazy. Yeah. So so tell us what happened. You know, I, maybe I got it wrong. I don't know.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's basically right. Yeah, it was, it was this bizarre. It was only uh, a couple of days after my dad's funeral, right? So we had just laid him to rest. And we are completely... Um, unsure of how to pick up our lives and move forward. You know, we're now in the in the, the state where, um, you know, right after someone dies, you go into this mode of uh, of logistics and you're planning everything, right? And you kind of are in a state of shock, maybe. And and then um, the funeral ends and everyone goes home and you're sitting alone for the first time, um, and you're and it really hits you uh, what's happening. And that's that's the place that we were at, completely um, unsure how we could go on with our lives without my dad and my my mom's phone rings uh and she picks it up and it's, it's my cousin chris who is a uh, he married my second cousin okay so it, it, he's not a person <laughs> when she first said his name to me i couldn't even picture who she was talking about
0: um and
1: she was quite surprised to pick up the phone and hear him on the other line you know this is not someone who had ever called our house before ever so she he said uh, Liz uh, that's my mom's name Liz do you know what I do and she said uh, no now as far as we knew Chris is a he's a hospital administrator you know he's this <laughs> kind of straight laced guy with this big job at a hospital you know in the scientific world mm-hmm. um, and he said well I on the weekends I'm a ghost hunter <laughs> she said uh, okay now my mom is completely baffled at to, as to what this phone call could possibly be leading to. And uh, what had happened is Chris's, someone in Chris's family had the smell of fish happening in her house that was overwhelming. And it was so overwhelming that they eventually, they could not figure out where it could possibly be coming from, what the source of this could be. And it got so bad that they thought, maybe this is like a paranormal thing. And knowing that Chris was a, uh, into that stuff they called Chris uh, to come and investigate it. And he then called his medium friend who was out in Arizona. And she said, this is related to a guy named Robert. His name is Robert. And he, uh, someone in his family uh, has a fish restaurant or is, is somehow involved in a fish restaurant. And he's desperate, absolutely desperate to get a message to his family that he is okay that he survived the death of his body, and he is okay. He needs to get this message to them, and he's not going to stop until he gets this message to them. And Chris said, wait a minute, Robert, he, 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 you know, he remembered at that moment that Robert was my dad's name. Now, I don't know if Chris and Robert ever, I mean, Chris and my dad ever met. I don't think they ever met in physical life. So um, it took a moment for Chris to put it together. And But when, when this media, Christina, said fish store, it rang the bell. My sister owns a fish restaurant. So... Um, that's how Chris put it together. So anyway, he calls my, my mom and he says, so I have this medium and, you know, he tells her the story. So my mom hangs up the phone and she calls me and I'm back at work in, in New York uh, behind the bar during the first act of the show. The same bar that I was behind when I got the phone call that he had died. So I had a little PTSD when the phone rang and I, I saw my mom's name. You know, my heart started to pound and I picked it up and my mom's voice was totally different. Um, than it had been since my dad passed. It was alive again. You know, there was this vibrancy in my mom's voice again. And she said, "Mike, I think I just got a message from your father." And I said, "What do you? What are you talking about? What do, how could, my father's dead. How could you get a message from him? What do you mean?" She tells me this whole story. And I hang up the phone, and I, I know that I need to get much more information on this. So, I end up calling Chris. I talk to Chris for hours about what happened. He gives me the phone number to the medium. I call the medium in Arizona. And what I needed to conclude was basically, I was trying to figure out, is this woman crazy, right? For for lack of a better word, that was my initial initial instinct was to find out who this woman was as a human being. Um, And after my conversation with her, it was clear to me that she believed what she was saying. Um, whether or not it actually was my dad getting this message to her, it was clear that she believed it, that she was a woman who was compassionate, that she was caring, and to me she seemed entirely sane. You know, Not, not that I'm qualified to make those judgments, right? I, I'm not. But to me, she seemed like just a warm, loving woman who truly believed that this man, my father, needed to get this message to me, and she did what she did. Um, out of, out of a place of, of goodness. So I, and while we were on the phone, actually, she said something else, um, about a butterfly that made a lot of sense to me. It was like, she got this message in the moment that we were talking. Um, and, and that was, that was sort of surprising. So that went a little more, you know, that made me more curious. So I told my sister about it and, um, and, and she was very intrigued, right? Then the next morning, my sister's driving to work, and she just happens to turn on the radio, and there's a medium on the radio in Connecticut who's doing readings for people who are calling in. Um, uh, she, I guess she periodically does this radio segment where she gives readings for people uh, who call the radio station. Uh, and that. so that's just, you know, a day or so nice. after... I tell my sister about this conversation with this other medium. So um, my sister, Jen, then made an appointment to see this medium that she's listening to on the radio in person. Right. right.
0: So, so you went, her name was Angelina, and you went to see her, and you had told your father, because you're so skeptical, to mention your hair, which would have been the most unusual thing ever, um, and so she did this reading and you're thinking to yourself, well, she hasn't said anything about my hair. And at the very end, she basically throws that in. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're like, yeah, Oh, was, okay. <laughs> now, now we're yeah. getting uh, a little more information here.
1: Yeah. It, it was the most stunning moment of my life. Um, you know, the reading lasted for maybe an hour and a half or something. And the whole thing was incredible. It was, she she was saying these things, but but there's no way she could have known, uh, saying things that are not published anywhere on social media, nothing that she could have read in in my dad's obituary, very personal things. Um, Like, for instance, almost quoting a conversation my sister and I had had in private the day before, and I was stunned by all of it. And then at the very end, yeah, uh, we were wrapping up, and And I had forgotten that I had asked for this code word, right? I had asked my dad to mention my hair. I I almost forgot about it because, you know, we were all in in tears. We were all sobbing. It was incredible, the experience we just had. And then related to nothing, she was in the middle of saying something else, and she kind of stopped herself and looked at me and said, he wants to talk about your hair? And it (laughs) totally, you know, that moment totally changed my life and sent me down this, um, the direction that I'm still, still headed down now.
0: So, so then, um, and you had mentioned um, John Edward um, a little while ago in the beginning of the show who, you know, used to have this show called crossing over and I used to watch it and I love John Edward and I've actually gone to see him. So I have a parallel experience to you because Mm. What Jonathan, what John Edwards does is if you don't get a reading in the audience, he recommends this friend of his, Jonathan Lewis, who will do readings for you. And he'll get you in faster if you mention it. Well, anyway, I had a reading with John Lewis, Jonathan Lewis. Oh, wow. Oh, Yeah. yeah. So over the telephone, because. Uh I live in Florida. He, he's in New York. So he did a telephone reading for me and I was astounded, but
1: really, so I
0: I just needed to throw that in, but um, tell us what Jonathan, tell us what Jonathan um, (laughs) was able to reveal to you.
1: Yeah. So then I, I became convinced. It was clear to me that this woman, Angelina Diana was doing something genuine, but then I started to think, well, maybe she's, just reading my mind. And I say just in quotes, because even that would totally demolish the current scientific paradigm, right? Science does not believe that telepathy could possibly be a real thing. Um, but that's what I started to think. Maybe she's reading my mind, and it's not really coming from my dad, who's somehow here without a body. So to test that, that, that possibility, uh, Jen, my sister and I went to see Jonathan Lewis, and my mom was not going with us to that reading. So I said, Mom, um, when we leave here today, I want you to talk to Dad and get him to say a very specific message that you're not going to tell us. It's just going to be between you and Dad um, so that it can't be in our brains. And if Jonathan Lewis says that, that that would be just incredible, you know. And I never in a million years expected that it would actually happen. Um, so we, we drive to long Island to to sit with Jonathan Lewis. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm taken by how nice this guy is, you know, like if he's crazy, he, he's really crazy because he is just so, he seems so kind and compassionate and and lovely and so normal. In in fact, I'm sitting there thinking I'd like to go out and and have a drink with this guy. You know, (laughs) he he was so, he was just so nice. Um, so we, we have the reading, and. Everything he says is, almost everything he says makes complete sense to us. It was a fantastic reading. Um, there were only very few things that did not make sense. Um, and one of them, uh, he said to us, does someone does someone have a bad toe? I'm seeing like a bad toe that one of you has. And and we don't. All of our toes, is, I mean, you know, we, we don't have the prettiest feet in the world, but I would not say that there's anything about our toes that, that stands out, or that are bad. So, so that that one did not make sense, uh, and we, we counted it as one of the only misses of the day. So we're, we're driving home, and uh, we call my mom, and we go through uh, the the reading, and we tell her every single item that she that he said. And when my sister says, "Oh, and he said," uh, so he, he asked about someone's bad toe. My there was silence on the other end of the phone. My mom totally couldn't talk, and uh, we're like, "Mom," and her, her voice cracked, and she was crying, and she said, that's it, and, and and that that's it. That was the message. I'm like, what do you mean? The message was bad toe? What are you talking about? And uh, when she was sitting on the porch that morning talking to my dad after we left, she was having her coffee in her sandals, and she looked down at her toe, which I guess my, my mom has a crooked toe. I had no idea my whole life that my mom had this crooked toe, and she says, okay, Robert, get this medium to talk about my crooked toe. I have to talk about my crooked toe if it's really you. So that was pretty astounding because not only was everything he said, nearly everything he said accurate, and again, a lot of it was personal stuff that was not published anywhere. He also said this other thing that seemed to rule out telepathy for me. So that was another uh, step in the evolution of my, my, uh, my search into this topic.
0: So then... As if two wasn't enough, then you mm. have a reading with this woman named Robin, yes. and 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 the readings that you're getting, the the information is is very similar, right? They're coming up with the same thing. So
1: what did Robin yes. say
0: that was different? Yes,
1: that was one of the things that was really compelling to me was the patterns. The mediums were saying. Some of the very same things, for instance, about the way that my dad passed, that it was this shockingly quick event that he was here and then he was gone. Um, There there was a pattern that I could not see any way for them to fake, right? Unless all mediums get together and talk about all potential clients and say, okay, I'm going to say this and this and this, so you also say this and this and this. I could not see how these same patterns uh, could be emerging. So, um, yeah, then we go to see this woman named Robin, and um, she was probably, that might have been the best reading that we'd had in terms of specifics. She, for instance, I, I say, I, I talk about in the book the way she began the reading. Um, the The week before this, I had gotten a new job. I had been moved to a, a bigger theater that I was the manager of, uh, the bar manager of and I had put up these new lights around the four bars in the theater. And for me, it was a big deal. It was the first time that I had changed um, anything about the aesthetics of a, of a theater. Um, and it's a Broadway theater. So it's not a small thing when you're changing, um, when you're changing the yeah. look of things, you know, you, you have right. to please the, a lot of people. So I did that. I had, I put up all of these new lights and I had done finished the project maybe a day or two before I had this reading with Robin. So, my sister and I go in and sit down, and uh, she immediately, it's the first thing she says, the first thing she says is, your dad likes what you did with the lights at work. And, Randy, and that is a verbatim sentence. She said, your dad likes what you did with the lights at work. So in the first sentence, she knows it's our dad that we're there to hear from. How could she possibly know that out of all of the people in our lives? Um, and he, she mentioned specifically that he likes what I did, not just with the lights, not in my house or in my car or whatever. She says he likes what you did with the lights at work. And then that, following that, was just a stream, a stream of evidence like that. And I left that reading thinking, okay, there is now to me no doubt that this is a real thing, and I could not understand why I didn't know about it before. And to go back to science, you know, this is such a profound thing, right? The notion that someone, even if it was, again, quote, unquote, just telepathy, that notion alone completely shatters our the foundations of our current scientific paradigm. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> it does. For Right? So for us to not be taught that in school, I was shocked that that this something this big could be out there and Mm -hmm. and available to people that there is evidence of that is not being widely studied. It was shocking to me. Wait, Um, Let me just interrupt you
0: for one second. I'll let you continue. That's why I do this show (laughs) to educate Mm -hmm. people on these kind of things. Okay, keep
1: going. Yes. And good for you for doing that because, because as, as we're talking about here, this is such a major thing. This is such a huge part of what we consider reality to be. So good for you for spreading the word because someone in, in my opinion, uh, people are owed this information, right? The information uh, should be available for the people who want it. Mm -hmm. So, then I started wondering if any research had been done. You know, I'm, a, I'm an actor, right? I'm a bartender. I'm not the person who should be studying one of the greatest questions to ever face humankind, which is, you know, <laughs> what happens after we die, right? I right, am not exactly. qualified for this job. Yeah. Um, there should be people way smarter than me who are looking into this. And I was very surprised to find that there have been many, many, many scientists who have looked into this question. Um, including Nobel Prize winners mm-hmm. who have concluded, after rigorous research, that yes. the "quote-unquote" paranormal is mm-hmm. is real. There's nothing para absolutely. about it. It is right. Yeah, it is a part of the proven, natural world. They have. There has mm-hmm. it has been proven
0: that there is life after death. It has absolutely
1: been proven. <clears throat> in my opinion, in my opinion, the evidence very strongly points in that direction. Very strongly. Um, right. and, and we're talking about hundreds of years of research, right? I learned about, um, you know, research into mediumship has been going on since the late 1800s. You had mm. something called the, uh, the Society for Psychical Research, uh, founded in, in London. And these were some of the brightest scientists of their day who were looking into people who claimed mediumistic ability. And including people who were extremely skeptical when they went into the research. Some of these scientists went into it intending wholly to discredit all of this. They had no doubt that they were going to be able to discredit it. However, after giving it a fair look, as any scientist should, that's what science is about, after all, right? Science is all about observing something that happens in nature and then trying to figure out how it happens. Science is not about saying, well, that can't happen because it can't happen, which a scientist actually said to me, that can't have happened because it can't have happened, right? Which is not something a <laughs> scientist should ever say. That makes no sense whatsoever. No, it doesn't. So, um, that no, means I don't non- know.
0: It means I have absolutely yeah. no
1: idea about this, right? right it's a nonsensical statement and and as you said before quantum quantum physics right quantum mechanics is that that's where we are now the cutting edge and the very bottom line is we don't know what this is all about the the very foundational um level of reality we we have built all of our equations and all of our science is built on a foundation that we can't see it's built on a foundation that we don't yet understand um, you know, one of the leading theories is string theory, right, that, that the thing that makes up protons, neutrons, and, and, and uh, uh, electrons, and now we know, you know, we have quarks and gluons, the things that make up a quark, for instance, might be, might be a vibrating string of energy, right? But that is just a mathematic formulation. We've never seen the string that's supposedly vibrating, right? And even if it is a string of energy that's vibrating, what is making the string vibrate? We have no idea why that string should be vibrating if it is a string. And we throw the word energy around all the time, like we know what that means, but we don't. (laughs) What is energy? What is it, right? We, we, We just don't know. So for any scientist to say that anything is impossible, when we don't even understand the very foundations of reality, to me, doesn't make much sense at all. So, um, yeah. And then I found some modern researchers. Sorry, go ahead. Right. So,
0: um, you know, this is something that may not happen in this century or maybe even the next century, because in our realm, in the third dimensional realm that we all exist in, we cannot conceive of what happens in the realm of where we go when we pass on, because it is another dimension. It's a dimension where people are just as alive. and um, this as you were discovering with your father. And so there's no sense of time. It is not linear, and nothing that we know about life transcends to that um, can explain that dimension because we're not there yet. We don't know what it is. So um, this is going to take a long time before science catches up. But believe me, there are so many people studying this because this phenomenon happens all the time. It's crazy. So, um, so at this point you're like, all right, I need concrete evidence and i'm going to do you ended up doing a documentary you didn't intend to do a documentary but you ended up doing a documentary and you and you went to angelina and how did that all go down
1: yeah i, I so i started sharing my story uh with people who had lost people right so i had some friends in my life who who lost people in their lives and I found that when I told them my story about what happened, it brought them some comfort, you know, they they and they wanted to know more about it. Um, so once I started sharing the story, it then became this real – I sort of felt this weight of responsibility to make sure that I was telling them the absolute truth, right? I wanted to make – you know, this is something called cognitive dissonance, right? Like when something happens right. – the brain is very good at dismissing things. And then you have retrocognitive dissonance, right? So something can happen where in the moment you are sure that it happened, right? You're sure of it. But then an hour later, you're, you're thinking, <laughs> yep. well, but what about this or maybe that, right? So I was having a severe case of retrocognitive dissonance. As astounding, as certain as I was that I had had genuine experiences, my, my, my darn brain with not letting me have it, you know? And my brain was saying to me, now that you're telling other people about this, you better be darn sure you're telling them the truth because you don't want to be giving false hope to people, right? I I want to be giving this comfort, but I want to make sure that I'm grounding it in actual truth. So I call Angelina and I I said to her, you know, uh, we met, it was about a year after we met, and I told her I wanted to make a documentary Uh, I said, basically, you know, I want to test you. (laughs) I want to see if you're really doing what you claim to be doing. So I'd like to film you giving readings for people that I bring to you. So I will know without a doubt you cannot be cheating. I'm going to sit you down uh, in front of the camera, and then I'm going to walk in 10 perfect strangers, you know, one after the other, 10 totally uh, people that you'll have no idea about, and we're going to have you do a reading.
0: And and Angelina
1: said, sure, I'll do that. She immediately said yes, um, and that's important to note. And she also signed a release form right away, giving me rights to the footage. Now, that, that's a great leap of faith on this woman's part, because depending on who I am as a human being, you know, an editor can make anyone look amazing or make anyone look terrible, right? When you make a documentary, you have hundreds of hours of footage. You can, you can create characters that, that are not at all real based on how you splice something together. So she had this trust that my intentions were true and that I really truly was just looking for the truth. And so she immediately said yes to this. So then I watched Angelina time and time again come up with information that I knew there was no way she could possibly know by any quote unquote normal means. and, and at this point, I've now filmed her doing 15 to 20 readings. I go, I go over 10 of them in the book. I compile the data from 10 of the readings. Um, but I, I, now, I, you know, I've done more beyond that now. And I'm left with no doubt that statistically something genuine is happening. She's clearly getting information in a way that science does not yet understand.
0: Right. So, so then, um, then you start... Examining physical mediumship and yeah. um, and and as you talk about ectoplasm and how, you know, it shows like cotton coming out of people's mouth. But then yeah. you find out that there is such a thing as ectoplasm when people are physical mediums, when they can go into yeah. a trance and bring through um, another bring through someone who is from the on the other side. And this was the clincher. So tell us about this story. Yeah,
1: yeah. This, 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 now uh, I'll tell you that I hesitated to put this in the book, right? This is the last chapter of the book. Um, and it's the last chapter because uh, not only is it the last thing that I experienced um, that really truly did clinch it, but it, it also, um, it's going to be so far beyond the av- average person's sense of, of reality that I worry that, that they'll get to this last, last chapter and they'll think, oh, man, I, I just spent this whole book with this guy. It turns out he's just nuts, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, I did uh, hesitate to, to put it in there. But in the end, again, it is the truth of what, of what happened. Now, I'll also say that when this thing happens, I was sitting beside a New York Times journalist named Leslie Kane uh, who wrote a book uh, called Surviving Death, which the Netflix series is based on. Um, And she's uh, also a journalist, you know, for the New York Times. So this woman is highly credentialed and and she's, um, you know, her word is everything. People have to trust what she says is the truth. That's how she makes a living. Um, and she was sitting beside me when this happened. So what you read in that last chapter, um, I, it was witnessed by all of the people in the room. There were about seven of us in the room, including um, this highly creden- cred- cred- credentialed journalist who was mm-hmm. sitting beside me. Um, when I read the word ectoplasm in Leslie's book, I mean... I thought ectoplasm was created by Harold Ramis in Ghostbusters. You know, that's where the word, you know, ectoplasm is, is the stuff that Slimer leaves behind on the bookshelves, right? As far right, as I knew. right. Yeah. Um and surely, surely, if ectoplasm was a real thing, and just to, to tell people what, what ectoplasm is, according to uh people in this world, um, it's a substance produced by physical mediums. So mediumship is broken down. We can break it down into two types, mental mediumship and physical mediumship. Mental mediumship is the mediumship that I had been dealing with, where a person is in a a conscious or at least a semi-conscious state, um, and they're telling you about the impressions, the visions, the sounds, the things that they're feeling. Um, Physical mediumship is a whole different level of Um, uh, it's a whole different state of consciousness where a person supposedly goes into a deep trance. Um, And once they're in that level of deep trance, the spirit world supposedly uh, uses this substance called ectoplasm, which they claim is in everybody, but physical mediums are people who have an abundance of it. Uh, And they're able to extract this substance from the, 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 the medium's body and it might come out of their mouth or their nose or their ears or even their, like, belly button, their solar plexus area. And they're able to use that substance to materialize in the middle of the room. So in the, in the most uh, advanced cases of physical mediumship, the claim is you can have a spirit person. My dead father could be standing in the middle of the room and talking to me, really physically standing there. Uh, and then he'll dissolve back into the floor and disappear. Now, when I first read about that, I thought, come on, come on, what do you take me for, Leslie Kane? That can't be. Surely, if that were true, again, my science teachers would have told me about it. If dead <laughs> people are able to materialize in the middle of the room where everyone in the room can see it physically happen, I certainly would have heard about it. Uh, and I was stunned stunned to find uh, that not only does it happen, but there has been incredible evidence accumulated over more than a hundred years at this point that it happens. Um, And not accumulated by like mad scientists who are living in basements accumulated. Again, there's a guy named Charles Rocher who was a Nobel prize winner in physiology. Okay. He wasn't a Nobel prize winner in, in, um, in physics. Or, or, or um, you know, something. He, he he studied the human body. Like, that was his whole life. And he is the person who first named, gave the name ectoplasm. He studied this substance in a lab. Um, it came out of a person's body in a sitting, and he was able to cut a piece of it basically off and take it back to a lab and study it in. And... Um, Anyway, many, many brilliant scientists over the years um, have investigated physical mediumship and come to the conclusion that it is absolutely a real thing. But no matter how uh, credentialed these scientists might be, I was not going to be able to believe that until I saw it with my own eyes. And I never in a million years thought I would get a chance to see it with my own eyes. Uh, And then through an extraordinary series of events, which I describe in the book, Um, about a year after finding Leslie's book randomly at a Barnes & Noble up on a bookshelf. I did not know Leslie at all. Um, A year after finding her book, her and I were sitting in uh, a little town in England with a man named Stuart Alexander, uh, who it claims to be a physical medium, and I had the experience of a lifetime. Um, It completely changed my... uh, completely changed my life in that, you know, before this, I had become sure that mediumship was a genuine phenomenon. Like I, I truly believed it. Um, I, the evidence to me that I was compiling was um, uh, very strongly suggesting that th- that it's real. So I believed it. But what happened in that room in England changed me from believing that it was genuine to knowing that it was genuine because something happened that I saw with my own eyes, that I felt with my own body, um, a physical, a physical thing that everyone in the room saw. I saw it happen multiple times. I've seen it now happen in multiple rooms. Um, you know, it's what happened there gave me the. I now know that no matter how many Nobel prizes a scientist might have, uh, no matter how studied they are. And no matter how, how erudite their explanations for why my father cannot possibly still be around, if, 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 if they tell you, if a scientist of extreme stature tells you that there is no such thing as the quote-unquote paranormal, I know that they're wrong. Even though I'm just an actor, I'm just a bartender, I'm not nearly as smart as they are, I know that they are wrong. Yes. And that perspective totally changed my life, right? We so, we so easily assign authority to people, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you have some letters after your, your name and you have yes. a lab code on, mm-hmm. yes. right, we very easily assign authority. And we think, okay, mm-hmm. well, that person can tell me what reality is because, look, they have a lab coat on. They have a Ph.D. They have an M.D. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, but, but that is a mistake because it does not matter. Uh, the authority, that, and, and they might be an authority, but they are an authority only at the level of reality that you were talking about before, the 3D reality. Right. No one is necess- necessarily an authority on, um, on this place that our brains do not allow us to get to, the 4D or 5D or however many dimensions uh, right. outside of this. <clears throat> um, no one is an authority on that uh, in, a, in right. a lab code. It doesn't matter how many letters they have. So, so yeah, that's how that experience totally changed my life. Because okay, I now so tell you know us- without question that it's real. So tell us what you saw. Uh, I Now, when this happened, I was five inches away. One of the things that this man, Stuart Alexander, is able to do, um, he has a, a spirit control, which that's the spirit who controls the the, 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 uh, the body, basically, while the, the, the medium is in trance. Um, this man named Walter Stinson, <clears throat> who lived in Canada when he was alive, and uh, he is able to use... Stuart's ectoplasm to form his, his hand into a solid hand that you can shake right there in the room, that you can shake and you can see with your eyes, right? So I asked if I could kneel down by the table um, to watch this happen. So Leslie is sitting in a chair. There's a small table. And then Stuart is sitting in the chair across from her. So they're sitting across from each other with this little table in between them. And the table is lit up so you can see it. It's, it's lit from beneath. And I am kneeling down. So I have Stuart's knees to my right and I have uh, Leslie to my left. If anything funky is happening, if there's any deceit happening here, I am going to see it because I am right on top of this now. And to my shock, I suddenly see, this is very hard to describe the way that this happened because, there aren't words for it. The, the fluid nature, the way that this stuff formed, I have, real, I have a real hard time describing it, but this, this sort of amorphous blob suddenly appeared on the table, and it was undulating and moving. It was like smoke, like if smoke were liquid uh, in, in zero gravity. <laughs> you know, It had this fluid nature um, that was mesmerizing. And then suddenly, this blob. Out of this blob, two fingers formed. And then five seconds later, it was a full human hand. Okay. So five inches from my face, I saw the smoke, the smoky amorphous blob, coalesce into a human hand. And then it banged on the table. It, you know, it made a fist and banged on the table, so we could all, everyone in the room could hear that it was solid. And then it grabbed Leslie's hand. Leslie's hand was also sitting palm down on the table. It, it grabbed her hand, and she shook it. So now <laughs> I'm bending down, and I'm seeing this hand in hanging in midair, shaking my friend's hand, and it goes off the table into nothing. It, it, it's just a hand in the middle of the air, shaking her hand. <laughs> she she and, and Leslie will tell you that, and she writes about it in her book, she can feel the muscles, uh, I'm sorry, she can feel the, the, the bones, she can feel the warmth. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it feels like a natural human living hand. Okay. It lets go of her hand, and then in front of my face, again, five inches from my eyeballs, I watch it dissolve again in front of my face into, into that blob again, and then it slips off the table and it disappears into nothing, into nothing. And I watched that happen that night three times, uh, and I've now seen it happen multiple times in other places. Uh, so, as as bizarre as it might sound, uh, depending on how um, how, how much uh, the, the, your listeners are are into this world or have looked into this mm-hmm. looked into this world, um, I, I all I can tell you is that it really truly did happen. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. It <laughs> did happen. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: So you saw your father. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, that that was. So one of the other things that Stuart sometimes does is something called uh, that they call transfiguration. So that same substance ectoplasm uh, can be pulled out from the medium's uh, sort of nose and mouth and ears. And I I was sitting beside Stuart that at that point, and suddenly there was, Stuart's face started to change. And it was as though this this amorphous sort of substance, it was sort of hovering above his face, maybe an inch or so above Stuart's face. And my dad's face suddenly appeared over Stuart's. Stuart had a very thin um, beard, sort of patchy. My father had more of a full beard. And I suddenly saw my dad's beard form, right again, right in front of me a foot away, and my dad's face was now in front of me and talking to me. <laughs> and, and I can't, I'm getting chills right now. Every, every time I talk about this, I get chills because the last time that I saw my father's face now was not in the casket. The last time I saw my father's face was a couple of years ago in that room in England. I saw my father's face talking to me um, after he died. I, I, and what I mean, did he say? And
0: happened. what did he say to you?
1: He said, um, you know, there wasn't anything terribly evidential in the things that my dad said through Stewart. Most of it, it's a real effort for them to, to do this, apparently. And so most of the messages are, I love you, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm sorry. But one of the things that he said... Um, let me know for sure that it really was him, and that was when we found when my dad was found. He was found on the ground. He had just walked into his house, gone up the steps, and died. His keys were still in his hand, so it was very fast. And my dad had a little home office, and that's where he died in the in the doorway of the home office. And that was a detail that was not shared with anyone at all where he died. That he was on the floor of his office. That was not that was only between my mom and my sister and I, and we, and they sat with him for hours on the, you know, the paramedics, they did not want to let them take my dad away. They, we Mm. we sat with, they sat with him on that floor. I mean, it was, um, and I focused on that floor, you know, for, for months and months, I was focusing on the positioning of his body because I was so worried. Did he have any pain? Was he afraid in his last moments and he couldn't get to a phone? Like I was, I, I was agonizing over where my dad, over the position of his body, you know, and, and what that meant about what his last moments of life um, were like. I was agonizing about it. So my dad says to me, um, me, down, down on the office floor, I'm sorry. And when he said that, when he, he said the office floor, um, you know, then I knew without a doubt, because uh, there is still a question, right? The formation of ectoplasm, it could be a a human ability that we don't understand yet, right? It it doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's survival of consciousness, that it's my dad that's manipulating that ectoplasm. It's possible it's Stuart's brain that is able Mm -hmm. to to cause this thing to happen. But Mm -hmm. when my dad said that down on the office floor, I knew it was him because that was not something that was in anyone's brain. And I mean, that was no. something only my dad would have known.
0: And he told you, he said, I've waited so long for this. And you said, I know yeah. you have dad. I see you.
1: Yeah. <sighs> That's I couldn't incredible. believe it. I, I, I see you. I see you. And, and then afterwards, uh, uh, Leslie said, did he have a beard? Because she could also see the beard form uh, um, over, over Stuart's face. Yeah, again, the words don't do it justice, uh, to, to, you know, when you, when you see it happen. And that's sort of what I'm encouraging in, in the book is no matter what I say to a person, you know, I, I can maybe lead you to think, okay, may, maybe this is real, um, but you have to explore this stuff for yourself to really get the full benefits. I feel like you, you, have, to, um, you have to give this um, some effort maybe uh, mm-hmm. and, and really do what you can to to personally have an experience with this stuff.
0: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, you you don't have to work so hard to convince me because as I said, right. um, I've been in I've been into this stuff for so many years, and it wasn't until I began doing this show that I realized how many people are. But when you're not in touch with that kind of community you feel very isolated when it comes to this topic. So um, I have done, you know, dozens of shows on this kind of topic and related things. So I understand how large the community of people who get it really, truly is in the world. So, um, and I know, and a lot of them are listening. So, I wouldn't bring a show on like this if I didn't think it would be received well. So you didn't, you don't have to fight so hard to convince us, maybe (laughs) some of us, maybe some of us, but I think most of us, most of us do get it. So um, amazing. Amazing. And they, and you were told that your father has a talent because spirit, not all spirits can do
1: what your father has been able to do. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, th- and that's something I try to, um, I'm, I'm very conscious of. My story is atypical um, uh, in that my dad, you know, I now think that being able to communicate in this way, it might be a talent like anything else. Like in mm-hmm. here on this side, you might have a 300 batting average as a major league baseball player, right? And that's an incredible right. talent Um, or maybe this communication that my dad has. So I like to tell people who maybe are experimenting with mediumship for the first time, if they go to a medium and they don't have the exact same experience that I had, you know, don't be discouraged. Mm -hmm. That does not mean, that your loved one is not there and communicating, Um, you know, my, my, my experience was not, it was atypical. My dad just, I think happens to be extraordinarily good at this. Yeah.
0: Right. And mediums have to interpret what they're seeing. It's not like the person sitting there talking to them like you and I are talking. They're shown things that they have to interpret. And the more experienced they are and the more times they're shown these things, the more they understand. So they could be misinterpreting what they're seeing but it could absolutely, be yeah, absolutely yeah. true. Absolutely. So I know my experience right, was very right. amazing. I laughed through the whole thing because it was so be, so bizarre and so true. And I knew that person was in the room with me. I knew it. Yeah. So, and Living I, and I, an also, oh,
1: God.
0: Yeah, and I also knew, because he had given evidence of a conversation I had 15 minutes ago or an email right. I sent 15 <laughs> minutes ago, he gave, he, gave evidence of a conversation I had in the bathroom with my husband the day before. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was so many things. So, um, so I just was so joyous because it was like, yeah, I know, I know you're here, but it's so good to hear from you because my lights had been going crazy in my house and all kinds of paranormal activity was happening here. And I'm like, something's up. I got to, I got to talk with this person and that's who showed up. So, What has your relationship been with your dad ever since this, I mean, this last time?
1: Yeah, it's totally, now I, I you know, my relationship with my dad, it, it simply shifted form. You know, he's like, do I miss his physical presence so that I could grab him and give him a physical hug? Of course, I absolutely do. But. I sense my dad every single day. And sometimes I'm, I sense him so strongly, like just yesterday, I was going for a drive. I sensed him so strongly, I was certain he was actually sitting in the seat beside me. <laughs> um, and that's a beautiful thing, you know. And that's one of the things I, another reason why I wrote the book, you know, it, death is so present in all of our lives, right? Uh, especially this year with COVID and, and, and the whole world is going through this right now. But, but it's always there. I start the book talking about the show, The Good Place, the Netflix show,
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: which is about the, the afterlife. And at one point, the main character is trying to tell this eternal being what it's like to be a human being. And he doesn't get it because he knows that he's eternal. And she <laughs> says to him, you know, w- we all know about death. So we're all a little bit sad all the time. And that really resonated with me because ever since I was a little kid, I I worried about losing my mom and my dad and the people that I loved. Um, And death was kind of always there in the background as this looming thing that's eventually going to happen to everyone. But knowing what I now know, it really mitigates that sort of background sadness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The greatest greatest fear
0: we have is dying yes and when we understand right. that we don't then we're, we can be fearless yeah. i mean it does i mean you know and i yeah i mean i um, death to me is is not a, a sad subject it's a joyous subject because i know right. we transition to a place that where we have i mean i don't know exactly what we have but I think it's better. (laughs) I think it's better where they are. So, um, a freer, you know, free from all the fear and the sadness and the negativity that we have here in Earth School. So, um, wow. Your story is incredible. So, I mean, and you've written it beautifully in your book, Love Dad how my father died then told me he didn't which is a great name um and mm-hmm. the netflix the netflix series is surviving death so um everybody check that out uh and you'll be able to see mike anthony and his story so mike thank you i mean thank you for bringing this to us today and um and i hope hope you felt good knowing that it was
1: received very well Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And even if it's not, well, I mean, I feel like that's sort of my my job, if I have one, is maybe to be a bridge between people who, like your listeners, and then people mm-hmm. who don't know much about this at all, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: You are so very welcome. Have a wonderful day. Say hi to your dad. <laughs>
1: Will do. Will okay, do. Okay,
0: take care. Alrighty. You too. Thank you. B- bye-bye.